Hey, this is No Star Tight End Josiah DeGuara. Welcome to the Hot Minute Pod. How we doing, everybody? It's episode 13 of the Hot Minute Pod. I am your host, B. Fox. It is the middle of November, the Ides of November. Thanksgiving is nearby, and the Bearcats football team is ascendant nationally. Uh, we've got Temple University, the Fighting Owls, coming into town, coming into Nippert Stadium on Saturday night in a game that should have a significant national impact if the Bearcats prevail and keep on prevailing. Uh, the road to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, is uh, should be paved with Bearcats red and black. Um, and the basketball team as well is is departing for uh, St. Thomas, the, the United States Virgin Islands, where they will be playing uh, in, in the Paradise Jam with a, a crowded field of uh, plenty of teams that are not very good and in Nevada. Uh, so it, it should shape up to be a hopefully uh, a dominant performance there and a beautiful location for the University of Cincinnati men's basketball team. And, uh, and so I will be discussing uh, those things, the football uh, matchup, the college football landscape nationally, as well as the, uh, the Bearcats basketball squad and its prospects with, uh, with, with Justin Williams of The Athletic. And, uh, and you know what? This is a special episode. You're going to get a little poetry. Going to have a special moment uh, for all of us. And I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. This is episode 13. Listen if you'd like. What's up? This is Trey Scott. And welcome to the Hot Minute Pod. This podcast sets up a little differently than other podcasts. Um, My interview and discussion with Justin Williams uh, from The Athletic is lengthy. It is a a broad and winding journey. Uh, I hope you'll uh, appreciate. We do a uh, something of a biopic, and um, young Justin was not prepared for that. And uh, it was fun, honestly. I think we covered some ground uh, about his creative process and how he does it that I think uh, it, plenty of you will find fascinating, interesting, maybe even compelling. And then uh, he and I engage in a, a robust conversation about the, uh, the football team, the prospects for making it to the Cotton Bowl. He is bearish. Uh, I am bullish. And uh, then we discuss Jaron Gate 2K19 a little bit. And uh, so that's, that's how the discussion with Justin goes. But before that, this is a, uh, a new special coming to you. We're going to start off uh, a little artistic. And, um, and I, hope you, I, I hope you go on this journey with me. I hope you don't fast forward to the Justin interview. And I hope you let some of this literature Soak into your 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 skull, let it grow you as a human being. Maybe then, maybe only then, will the interview with Justin Williams really unfold as it should. Also, want to notify you that I've published uh, an online periodical entitled uh, "Cheers to the Unshakables." That can be found at BearcatSportsRadio.com. 
Uh, I also share it on Twitter and the Facebooks. So uh, let's just dive right into the art, and then we'll dive into the discussion with Justin, which almost rhymes. And now a, a unique uh, moment that uh, is is not going to be a regular feature. But you know what? I, I wanted to share a poem just to raise the literary specter of those who call Bearcat fandom home uh, to maybe raise the wisdom. It's a poem by Rudyard Kipling. I tweeted it out because uh, my thought was maybe maybe folks will read it because it's, I think it's an important poem, especially in the context in which we live. And uh, it's important, I think, period. So it's a poem uh, called If by Rudyard Kipling, and it goes something like this. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings, and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute, with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Love that poem. I think it's nice, uh, you know, from a, a life coaching perspective, it's, uh, it's just lovely to think about staying in the middle and, uh, keep, and staying grounded regardless of what is going on around you and, and remaining uh, true to your goals and uh, walking humbly and accepting uh, both fortune and loss with equal perspective. I like it. I hope you liked it. And if you don't, um, then you can fast forward, I guess. Hey, everybody. So um, I, this is a segment that I've been dreading for a while. And that's because Justin Williams from The Athletic has joined me. Uh, many of you know Justin from his pretentious and mean-spirited articles about um, sports. Um, Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah. that's I appreciate that introduction. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Justin met my, my administrative assistant, Melissa Francois, and um, 
I don't know. It, was, it seemed like a, a big moment for you to meet the gatekeeper. So um, I'm here in the offices. We won't go into too many. Oh, that was me banging a gavel. That was me banging a gavel. Um, you work in law, for those that don't know. Yeah. We don't want to go into specifics. We don't no. want people coming to here to your office. But right. Uh, I, I walked in and and a, a very warm woman said, "How can I help you?" Right. So I'm I'm here to meet with Bearcat Sports Radio. And she had a, a panic button, is what she called it, and she quickly, right, quickly pressed the panic button. Yeah. Uh, but then once she bailed me out, she understood it was just a, a misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, uh, people don't know who I am. I, what I do, my my, I just carry papers frantically throughout the office so as to give off the appearance of a general state of busyness. Mm -hmm. But um, mostly cool. take naps. I told you, every, everyone that walked by, I asked them for a retainer fee. Yeah, there you go. There you go. No no, no chuckles even. So I'm an attorney, right? I, I help businesses. I help local governments. You have a gavel. I have a gavel on my desk from the United States Supreme Court when I was a tourist in Washington, D.C. Too Yeah. And you, however, you're not an attorney. No. Is that right? That is, that is correct. Um, could have been. Could have been an attorney or a doctor. Right. Chose right. not to go or apply for law school or medical school. Right, and that, and that's just general, like a low ambition thing, or was it was it more of a fit? I, <laughs> I I think my ambition was right on par with my ability. Okay, that's fine. How do you feel about these glasses? Do they make me look uh, heavy set or thin? So this, I don't think are they, are they new or do you just not wear work? B Fox glasses around your your sports business because yeah I don't like to I don't like people to know I have any weaknesses right so uh, uh, severe myopia would be a clear giveaway that I'm not perfect yeah I don't want people to know that um, but yeah so the I, fact that you just have a mustache too no beard is also <laughs> it's also new for me yeah and the and the lightning bolt inside of my hair it's all <laughs> it's all a part of the, the I, real, I missed it because of the rat tail it's, it's the real me that's the real me. Um, so you're, what, what is your job? You work for the athletic. I do. Are you athletic? Um, no, you're not. No, that's, uh, work for a company called the athletic that's right. while not being very it's athletic. Like, you know, one of those, those who can't do teach type deals. Yeah. Those, those who are not athletic right for the athletic. Those who can't legal law. Again, didn't go to law school. Chose, chose not to apply. That was not a good joke. <laughs> And I'm disappointed in myself. going to get cut out. No one's ever going to hear it. No. We're going to leave that one in. Uh, it makes people think that I'm vulnerable and it's accessible, you know? <laughs> Again, so, the perfection thing. It, it was a purposeful, not great joke. Yes. I, I only tell bad jokes intentionally <laughs> so that everything isn't so great. <laughs> <laughs> so we're drinking Ale 8s. Yes. This podcast not brought to you by <clears throat> AL8, but AL8 folks, if you're out there listening and God, that would be crazy if you were, um, I'd love for you to sponsor me because I love your delicious beverages. It's a mini. It's an AL8 mini. Yeah. A little mini, uh, 70 soft drink. Always drink out of the glass bottle. Um, Justin asked how many AL8s I drink a day. The, the, the real answer to this, this is some, uh, uh, Brian George Washington Fox trivia. It's about six a day. I go through a lot of ALA. I like the beverage. Yeah. Yeah. It's a true story. So you, how long have you been with The Athletic? Um, about a year and a half. It was May of 2018 when I started full-time. 
Okay. How long did Benefits it take? too. Yeah. 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 How, Allegedly. How long did it take you to get off the ground? Meaning? <laughs> Meaning you, you know, you sign the contract. I'm assuming they give you like a big check like in Happy Gilmore, right? Big golf check. Yeah. Um, they give you like a, a, a sneakers or a hat. They um they said it's in, like, they're not liquid, so okay, you know, yeah, it'll it'll come eventually. Sure. It's kind of what they, in the mail type of a deal, but right. yeah, I've been assured that it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be sizable, yeah, tra- trade equivalency at least. Okay, yeah. all right, maybe Bitcoin or some <laughs> other. Sure, Could be in uh, you know the Facebook currency. Who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. What was your question? I'm I sorry. Don't know. So my question was, from the time that you signed on, mm-hmm. how how long did it take you to get up and running and writing articles? Immediately. Yeah? Day yeah. one? Day one. Day one. You you sign and you're, you're in. Yeah. So I actually started doing some freelancing for them before okay. I signed on uh, full-time officially. All right. And what we're, what, what we you know, uh, how many articles were you writing when you were freelancing? Uh, so I was still working at a, at a previous job at that point. So I think I was doing like one a week okay. and, uh, you know, was, was looking to, to maybe do something a little bit more, yeah. uh, regular with them. And it fortunately worked out that way. I didn't actually start kind of full time on the UCB though until August. Okay. And, you know, so you're, um, let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's rewind the clocks. 1985. Mm. Aston Oaks, okay, West Side. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm heading. You're close I'm, to I'm that coming area. that way, yeah. You're, you're in that area. Um, so you grew up on the West Side of Cincinnati. Not, not in 1985, unfortunately. Well, I know, but, um, you know, because you're, you're a young pup. I am. So very, much life ahead of you. Well. So much hope. Yeah. And then I come into this sterling office and I yeah. realize how inadequate I am. That's, yeah, people well, telling bad jokes on purpose and, mar- and marbled things, uh, leather-bound books. Yeah, LA bottles just strewn everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Um, so you you grew up on the West Side. What was your affinity or affiliation uh, sports-wise growing up as a kid in Cincinnati on the West Side? Who did I root for? Yeah, I was, I was a Cincinnati sports fan in general. Reds, Bengals, uh, definitely. You know, grew up watching and following the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball. Not so much football, which I think would probably be standard for for that time. Yeah. Um, big Michael Jordan fan, which you know was pretty unique at the time. Not a lot of people on that bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, WGN. Yeah. Watching, <laughs> that's uh, right. Harry what, Carey and so let's let's talk about Jordan for a second. Okay. Um, what do you think about Scottie Pippen? So, this is this is actually a series. I, I I once had the fortune of talking to someone who covered uh, a Chicago journalist. Okay, uh, we had a uh, some alumni connections. Mm-hmm. Went to Ohio University, Harvard on the Hawking, um, but covered Michael Jordan for a long time, the Bulls for a long time in Chicago, and he made the comment. Not super flattering to Scottie Pippen that Scottie Pippen was a creation of Michael Jordan, and Ooh. that he built him up into what he wanted him to be, and could tear him down at any point. So, I, uh, growing up, I was a Jordan fan my entire bedroom. Yeah, like too. Um, wallpaper, unique, yeah, wallpapered with Jordan posters, mm-hmm. and I 
hated with the fire of a thousand suns Scotty Pippen. <laughs> it was an irrational hatred. Yeah. I could not stand him. And I just always believed that if you would have started me, you know, as one of the starting five on the Bulls, I would have gone for eight and eight and six oh, yeah. every night. Yeah. Second team all NBA probably. Yeah, exactly right. And then you, you look at Scotty's career after he left the Bulls uh, and went to the uh, Portland Trailblazers, I watched that transition just because I wanted to watch him fail. That's how <laughs> petty and vindictive I am uh, relative to people I've never even met. Yeah. Think about that. That's yeah. just weird as a kid. A little bit, yeah. But, um, yeah, so you're a Bulls fan, uh, but you like all Cincinnati sports. And so you were uh, a Huggins guy? And you were... Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't um... – that moniker can can be a little bit incendiary today. Can it? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a stand. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you know as the, those uh, the, those that the the late '90s, Danny Fortson, Bobby Brandon, Kenyon Martin, going to the early 2000s, Steve Logan. Yeah. You know, was, once I went to college, I honestly I stopped following UC a little bit. Mm-hmm. Became more um, Ohio University, which is obviously kind of peak college athletics is, is what I started following a little bit more closely. Oh, wow. But was was, was always a, a UC fan and follower growing up. Yeah. Um, so the Republic of Athens, a mm. uh, great place to go to school um, because it's not very hard, <laughs> right? It's, uh, most can't read over there, uh, right? So you obviously are there. You probably shine like the sun. Well, I was actually a legacy you know, my, my oh. dad went there, so... Oh, wow. You know. Bob, Bobcat Pride. Is that <laughs> That's right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the Mighty Green. Um, yeah. No one calls him that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, you you lose your affection for the Cincinnati Bearcats. What was your... I classify it like that. All right, that's fine. You hate the Bearcats <laughs> while you're at OU. And then, um, and then you leave... You go to uh, OU, you study journalism, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you want to be a big J journo. You want to pursue that dream. That's right. Live that passion. That's right. And uh, then, then what happens after college? Are we really, are we really going? Yeah, whole, man. The whole I biography? think people listen. I, I think it is without question that ex- other than me, you're the best writer in the Bearcats ecosystem. I appreciate that. Yeah, you were like a distant second, sure. but you're you're up there, right? Um, and I and I can't Scotty Pippen to your Michael Jordan, <laughs> if you will. No, I think everybody, uh, I you know, me included. I mean, I, I I did confess to you that I don't read necessarily every word out of your pen. You can't actually, is what you said, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I have Melissa read it to me, um, <laughs> but that that uh, that I I do admire your work and I think you're good. So I think it, a little. I don't know that many people have talked about your background and, I, and I'm just not willing to let it go. Okay. That's fair. So yes, I, I, I went to high university. Um, after that, I actually moved to Cleveland for a brief amount of time. So after Ohio, you take the LSAT, you don't do well enough to go chose, to law school. Chose not to take oh, that's the LSAT. Right. Okay. Pro- okay. Probably certainly would have done it well enough to go to, the, to law school, but yeah, opted against it. Um, so you moved to Cleveland or what yes. are you doing there? Are I worked writing? for Cleveland magazine. Okay. And what are you writing for Cleveland Magazine? Um, I was... Drew Carey hit pieces? (laughs) Exclusively. Uh, I was just a Bob Barker traditionalist and, you know, I don't... don't, Another uh, Night at the Rock and Roll Museum (laughs) by Justin Williams. I was actually, believe it or not, the arts and entertainment editor at 
at Cleveland Magazine. Okay. Um, the thing with most regional publications is they're small enough where you they kind of need your staff to do a little bit of everything. So I was writing, editing on all various topics related to Cleveland. Okay. And um, what was your favorite written work product out of the Cleveland Magazine? Oh man, what did you? What did you? What piece did you send to get your next job? So I actually only was in Cleveland for a little under a year. And the, I would say a big reason I got the job is when I was in college at OU, but still living at home in Cincinnati in the summers, I interned at Cincinnati Magazine, which is the Cincinnati version of Cleveland Magazine. Um, and, like it, I guess that's a different city. Yes. Okay, that's yeah, idea. Yeah. Right. Uh, and was able to, in some ways, kind of parlay that internship into a job in Cleveland, and then uh, was able to parlay that short job in Cleveland back into a full-time job with Cincinnati Magazine, which was great because my, you know, I grew up here, my family was here, my future wife, now my current wife at the time was my future wife, uh, not someone I'm just stalking. Sure, yeah. Like that. If you're listening, uh, she, Clarice. Right, she was here. Uh, so there's, I, I remember I wrote something, we did like a breakfast package in Cleveland and I wrote something about my love of cereal. That, that stands out to me. Wow. I think I would actually like that. Yeah. Because I'm a big cereal aficionado. What's okay. your favorite cereal? If if forced to choose, Frost Flakes. Ooh. I'd prefer not to choose. That's a the decent favorite. choice. I'd go CTC, Cinnamon oh, that's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's always good. Um, so you're writing for Cincinnati Magazine. What kind of pieces are you working on? Same deal. Pretty much anything. You know, I, I was able to do a lot of sports stuff, mainly because I like sports. And like I said, they kind of, they need you to do everything. So I we didn't necessarily have like a specific sports section or coverage or anything like that, but kind of became the de facto sports person there, but anything and everything towards the end, I was writing and editing features for the magazine. Okay. Profiles, and stuff like that. What was your favorite project that you worked on at Cincinnati magazine? Hmm. This is not sports related. I, I wrote about, um, his favorite would be a weird way to put it. Yeah. What were you most proud of? Well, all right. So this actually, this this one, I, I don't know if this is my favorite. There there'd be a short list of things I wrote about, but this would kind of tie in, maybe work as a transition. I wrote a feature on the University of Cincinnati dance team. Okay. So they, for those that don't know, are, are a, a strong national team. They've won national championships and things like that. And I actually went to Disney World at Orlando for the dance finals competition hmm. and kind of followed them around for a whole season and, and, and wrote about that. Okay. And then, um, so that was, uh, uh, I guess a little foray into Cincinnati athletics. Um, how do you transition from Cincinnati magazine to the athletic? So when the athletic opened up their Cincinnati site, Cincinnati branch, which would have been officially, I guess, February of 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, I reached out to the editor here, who was someone who had been an editor in town who I knew of for a long time and, and just said if they needed any help. I, you know, I knew of The Athletic and knew it was kind of like the next thing that seemed to be coming in, in sports writing um, and figured if there was any way to get involved with that, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. And had a little bit of connections, so just reached out and said if you need help with anything. I knew they were new and kind of just timing, good timing on my part. I don't think this was the plan. They needed someone. It was uh, in March, right around the. This would have been the season where UC was top five in the country. 
Um, got a two seed in the NCAA tournament. We don't need to rehash anything beyond that, but th they needed some help with some UC coverage. What happened time. after that? They, I believe it was Georgia State they beat in the first round okay. of the NCAA tournament. Yep. yep. Solid victory. And, um, but they needed some help on UC coverage at the time and just kind of in a freelance thing, they said, hey, can you can you go do this? So did some UC stuff, basketball stuff, did some FC Cincinnati stuff. That did was when they were- Did you go down to Nashville? I did not go to Nashville. Okay, I would have. Um, I would have enjoyed your retelling of so those. Events. I guess. I guess like, it's far enough removed. We can tell this story now. Yeah, I was still working at Cincinnati Magazine at the time, so I was just kind of helping out when I could. Um, and the plan, if Xavier and UC both won in Nashville, was they were asking if I would be available to go to Atlanta for what would have been the, the Sweet 16 game because we had someone covering Xavier and they would have been following them. And I was trying to figure out if I could make it work while keeping an eye on, on the game at the same time. And uh, I didn't I didn't have to go to Atlanta was, was the way that story ends. Why, why not? They lost. Okay. <sighs> okay. I'm okay. I'm not going to cry over here. Were you in Nashville? Uh, no. I was not. I was at a conference in Colorado, mm. and was um, and was commuting back, and was was about to fly down to Nashville to, to catch that game, and and didn't um, mainly. And I don't want you to think I'm a nice person, but I miss my kids. Oh, okay. I wanted to see them, and so I, I diverted my plan, and uh, and it ended up being a good idea yeah. because uh, that that night. Bad memories. Um, so, after that, you uh, you sign on and you're full bore writing Bearcats articles, right? So when I first started full time, I actually was just kind of helping out, um, warm body style. Like that was when FC Cincinnati was making their push to get to uh, MLS. I was helping out on some red stuff. We didn't have a Bengals writer yet, so I was doing that, and I was doing some UC stuff. But it wasn't until August, really when spring football started, when I was kind of officially put into the UC beat. No. Um, and so basketball August. was the focus at the, at the time, but so we wanted to do August football. when spring football starts. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to fact check you here because it, it, I, I don't like to be that kind of journalist. It's fall, fall football. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, sorry, I was just trying to get you. It's also a little bit inaccurate because to, I think it's technically still summer. Trying to get you in a gotcha? Yeah. I don't know. So um, how is it different writing for a magazine versus writing for an online periodical such as The Athletic? I actually think in some ways that part of my past has benefited me. I, had a, I still have and, and had a lot of catching up to do in terms of beat writing and sources and day-to-day -day reporting and following a team and stuff like that. I didn't really have much background in that. But, you know, The Athletic, I think, was trying to do something a little bit different in the way they covered sports and, and teams and beat writing and things like that and make it a little bit more long form, right? Yeah, narrative, um, a little less transactional day to day and kind of more focusing on stories and personalities and things like that. Um, and that's even evolved a little bit since it started. But in that sense, I think it actually helped me coming from a magazine background, whereas I think other people had this kind of a lot of people that came from newspapers or beat writing had this itch where they felt like they either had to write something every day or they had to cover each small kind of minuscule transaction. I didn't have to break myself of that habit. I had to break myself of making everything I wrote be like a 3,000 word definitive story on something. So less adjectives. 
So you you were Less not verbs actually. I still leave all the adjectives. They're all in there. Yeah, yeah. The jersey is speckled with blacks, white. <coughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, what's your process? What's your writing process look like? Alight. Lots of alight. <laughs> um, um, meaning. Meaning. So let's say you you go to, um, you you have a hot tip. Mm-hmm. Right, we deal in hot tips here at the Hot Minute Pod, so you get you get a hot tip from somebody. You know, I text you something. Hey, yeah, it's always you, buddy. crime dog. Go get them, right? And uh, and so you got this hot tip. What what's your process from that point? You, you're obviously going to do an investigation of some sort. Mm-hmm. You're trying to shore up. What's at what point does the the investigation tip from, hey, this is more than a tip. How many sources do you need to corroborate it so that it's reliable in your head? I mean, if we're talking like a scoop type deal. Scoop. Which is not, you know. It's I, rare. There's, yeah, there's, I would say maybe some scoops or. Because that whole Bearcat world leaks like a sieve, <laughs> if we're honest. Um, or news that I've broken, but that's not kind of my main. Yeah. You sat on that hardball story. You milk, you developed that. You milked it a bit. A little bit. I would, yeah. have, I would have preferred a little more time, actually, to, yeah. to, 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 to milk that story. Sure. Because uh, that, was, that was a busy day. But, you know, I don't, I, I guess if it's if it's something where it's like I'm going to be breaking news, you got you got to have at least two people you trust telling you the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, don't, I feel like that doesn't happen a ton um, yeah. in, in this particular beat. You know, there's certain things that you may be here and you have to kind of, figure out if you're going to go with it right away or if it, if it makes sense to sit on it for a little bit so you can get you know, confirmation on something. But for the most part, I feel like I'm just looking for interesting stories. And if that tends to be where I would say any kind of like scoop comes out of, because you're talking to somebody about something else and then they'll say, well, you know, actually this is going on or here's something you might not know about or whatever. Are, um, are you an outline guy or just a freeform guy? I have to outline everything. I mean, whether it's like a, a big feature with a bunch of sources or whether it's kind of like a midweek, just one source story, I have to at least sketch something down on a notepad because it helps me Yeah, go through with it. Okay. Um, do you dictate or is everything on a keyboard or do you use a typewriter, an old-fashioned typewriter? No typewriters. That would be awesome, actually. From now great. on, it would be great. I'll buy, I'll buy you a typewriter, actually. And you can just sit and press row and just bang away at the typewriter, and I will laugh so hard. And try and like transcribe as the coach is talking. So <laughs> yeah. it's just, oh, One have, moment, Coach. They have to talk over me banging on the key on the typewriter. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, everything I, I transcribe. There's a lot of services out there that you can use to transcribe interviews, and I don't like any of them because. First, especially with like sports, you're dealing with a lot of names or terminology that might not be recognizable, but it helps me to transcribe. It's kind of, it's the most annoying, tedious process. Every journalist will, or writer will, will tell you that or complain about it on Twitter when they're not screaming at airlines for losing their luggage or some <laughs> bullshit like that. Sure. But um, transcribing is the worst part of the job, but for I, I find it helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up as a kid, were mm-hmm. you, was there anybody that you read either in your scholastic endeavors, public school kid, right? Mm-hmm. Public school kid. You could just tell. Yeah, absolutely. It was honestly <laughs> never in question. Uh, West side, public school kid from the streets, right. gritty, 
gritty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, was there anything that you read scholastically that you enjoyed that set your hair on fire that made you want to be a writer? I remember growing up, this is probably not um, super specific to me, but like my dad used to get Sports Illustrated. So I would, I would read Sports Illustrated, Rick Riley, back page. Yeah. This is back when. Rick Riley on the back page was like the pinnacle of the profession. I used to read that. My grandfather was actually a TV news broadcaster, worked out of Dayton. Okay. And so ended up going in more of a, you know, writing direction, obviously. But that always, I think, had me a little bit interested in the media field. Yeah. When I was in high school, I used to read like front to back Rolling Stone. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, uh, uh, what were those vampire novels? Oh, uh, Twilight. Twilight. Yeah, yeah. that's the Mark Twain book that you have. I think yeah, he did Twilight. He, yeah, I think he did mostly yeah. dabbled in it. Right. Yeah. Um, so you 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 kind of started reading magazines back then. What, um, you know, you haven't been in the field, I guess, that long because you're still a boy, a young man, just so much life ahead of you. Um, how has so? Let me just tell you what I've observed over time. I've observed, and I'm just an old newspaperman, (laughs) and uh, what I've observed is um, affiliated media is the preferred um, consumption style now. People curate, whether it's political news or sports news, they tend to curate their reading interests based upon someone who shares an affinity or affiliation with whatever team or political party or whatever um, they're rooting for. Have you, have you observed the same thing? Meaning, do I feel like people want or expect me to root for? Yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah. So personalize it to you, but even more broadly speaking, have you seen, you know, any sort of shift in the way that business is, is delivered to consumers? I guess because it's so easy to follow whatever team you want to follow through any number of things, which is like teams put out so much stuff on social media, coaches that athletes are pretty active on social media. So you can kind of follow that way. There's very few sports now where you can't watch every game that whoever you're rooting for plays, which not that long ago was you know, not a, a ridiculous thing to think. Unless you're talking about the Paradise Jam. Okay. <laughs> Gotta get that Flow Hoops, baby. Yeah. Flowhoops.com. Um, so I think in that sense, whether it is people being more educated about teams they follow or maybe thinking they are more educated about the teams they follow, they're they're not they're not coming to you telling you to like tell who scored how many points the night before, or, you know, things that they can see on their own. I think what I always try to give to people, whether it is positive or negative or, you know, however it wants to be viewed, is just something that they might not be able to get on their own. We, You know, there is certain access given to media, and I feel like it is my, not to get too pious here, but it's my duty as a member of the media to inform people who, in my case, are subscribing and paying to read what I write, to give them information that they can't otherwise get on their own or in some way brings them closer to, to the team they follow. So that's, that's always what I'm thinking of. See, I, my, I see my duty in the media as dunking on opposing fans <laughs> and telling bad jokes on Twitter. That's, 
but we're different. You know, right. it's a different thing. Sure. It's a different apparatus, different platform, if you will. <laughs> uh, Hi, my name is Baylor, and you're listening to the Hot Pot. Hot Minute Pot. Hot Minute Pot. So knowing, uh, knowing that you try to take a, a more behind-the-scenes approach to delivering uh, stories and, and whatnot to athletic, the athletic consumers, um, have there been times since you started on the Bearcats beat where you felt like you wanted to take a harder line on either a coach or a decision or a game, and you have felt somewhat uh, hamstrung, handcuffed, uh, or otherwise prevented from being able to take a hard stance because you're concerned about offending those fans who subscribe based on affiliation? I don't think so, but partly because I think if people are going to be willing to pay their money and, and read me that they're they're going to be smart enough to realize when they're getting bullshitted. Can, I, can we say that? You Is can that, say that, okay. yeah, on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think they can tell when you're being disingenuous. And on the other side, too, I mean, I am aware that they're not all. Um, Luke Fickle memorably told me when he did not read the, the Jay Hudson story <laughs> yes, yes. That, that I wrote. But I know there are some coaches and, and players and people affiliated that read the stuff I write. And so, you know, there are definitely times you think, like, well, this person's not going to People, pe- There will be coaches that listen to this. But yeah. And, yeah. And, and there will definitely, you know, when you're writing something in the back of your head, you might know, like, this, this person's not going to like this. Or especially with players like this person's mom or dad's going to read this and, and they're not going to like that. Yeah. And what my goal always is, is to be, try to be fair about it and, and not take pot shots, but also just to be honest. So that is definitely something that I think I'm aware of, but I try never to let it color me. And I also, I'm, I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that I'm not an, an opinion writer. So I'm trying to report on something. So <clears throat> for instance, if, if someone might say like this coach sucks you need to go ask them why they suck or you need to write about how they suck do you do that I, i'll go and ask them you yeah. know so, so like let's we'll give a, a concrete example okay after the what was it i guess the tulsa game people were very upset with mike dembrock the the offensive coordinator yeah. for uh cincinnati bearcats football program hey mike and who people would not know this but he's He's a great person to interact with from a, from a media perspective, but I also have to feel like I have to report on him honestly, and the offense did not play well. But I'm not in a position where I, I have to write, like, this person is terrible and needs to be fired. I went to Mike Denbrock, who was kind enough to grant me an interview, and said, things didn't go well last week. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to people on Twitter saying, I could call plays better than you? Have you talked to him since the USF game? I have. Yeah. And uh, what were the nature of your discussions with him? I he so he told me something very interesting when we were talking about that Tulsa game, which I said, "How do you feel when people, you know, complain about play calling, or you know, whether you see that stuff or hear that stuff tangentially, whatever?" And he said, "If people telling you they can call plays better than you bothers you, you shouldn't be calling plays." Hmm. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and so he's not. And I'm not saying whether those people are right or wrong that are, are saying he's done a terrible job or they could do better. And I'm not saying he's right or wrong by saying that. Yeah. But I just I think it's my job to get his perspective on it and report what he says and be honest about it. If I would have talked to him and he said, we kicked Tulsa's ass, we were great, then I would probably have to write like, 
that's not entirely true, but right, he talked right. about it was a really tough week. It was a really tough game. Here's the things we can do to improve on that. And, uh, you know, some people are still going to say, I think Mike Denbrock's terrible. Some people are going to say he's great. Some people are going to have a different opinion based on reading that article, but it's not my job to tell people whether he's good or great or whether they're right or wrong, but just to talk to those people and, and try and get an honest yeah. sense of it. What do you What do you love most about the job or covering you see other snacks. than the paycheck? Free snacks. Free snacks. You get to watch sports and, and eat and eat free immediate food. Paycheck. You get to watch. Uh, I don't actually even watch a the team games that at you, all. you grew to hate while you were in Athens. <laughs> um, yeah. What What like. I guess where is do you do you have moments where when you finish writing something you just feel like man I drilled that yeah you have the opposite too yeah definitely yeah. but when, anytime people ask me I mean it, it is true I I get paid to watch and think about things that I would do if I wasn't paid to do it things that I would do on my own now I wouldn't necessarily be putting the time in. Rewatching games or talking to sources or, or writing articles that I would if I wasn't if it wasn't my job if I wasn't getting paid to do it certainly not to the degree that I do but it's something that I enjoy doing whether I'm getting paid to or not and so it's it's very very hard for me to find any complaints with with the job when you think about it from that perspective yeah so when you um, when you do polish off that banger of an article mm -hmm. right and you're just like man this thing is going to revolutionize the fan base. <laughs> uh, who do you show it to? Your, do you show it to your wife first? No. So uh, your, your kids who aren't old enough to read yet? No, they have as much interest as my wife. The interesting thing about my wife, and I actually really, I've grown to enjoy this. She could care less. Yeah. About sports in general, about what I do, um, and and I I know a lot of people in my profession who marry like other journalists or you know whether they meet in college or just meet working or something like that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that's great. But like if there's, I, there's a disconnection, right? yeah, I think and it's great a, that yeah. when I, when I go to something or when I write something and I come up, my wife's not like asking me about it. And Whether you succeed or fail, she doesn't care. No, she doesn't. <laughs> so she, long, she really doesn't. Yeah. And it's a, it's a little bit, uh, it's humbling. It's kind of like a reality check because yeah. I think sometimes I take the job seriously, but I think yeah. sometimes journalists, can get a little too self-important. I think everyone can, no matter what their sure. job is. Sure. It's easy to think that you are the be all end all it's, and that whatever it is that you're doing, if it's going well, then everyone must be aware of how well it's going. And if it's going terribly, everyone must be aware of how terrible it's going. It's great that I can say like, Hey, guess who UC has on the, the non-comp schedule in 2025 and my wife could go, I don't care. Quit talking to me. Yeah. yeah. I would say, I don't, she says that I to a lot of, them. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't. I don't know. Um, so, so my editor would be the answer. Sure. I send it to my editor when when, I, when I'm done writing. And, oh, and it's as simple as that. You yeah. don't send it to a friend to say, "Hey, give this a breeze through." No, I don't think so. Maybe Unless if it's like a touchy spot or something. Yeah, like maybe that. if it's a big story and, and it's something I have a little bit of time on. Yeah. Um, Did you give Harbaugh a pre-read before you published that? Or <laughs> no, no pre-reads. No sources ever get pre-reads. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so speaking of your wife, you just, uh, she just delivered a child. She did. Um, and you, uh, prevented me from being in the delivery room. What was that about? <laughs> I told you I'm a doctor of jurisprudence right. and, uh, uh, I don't know. I just felt 
I don't know. I thought we were. I, did, I thought we were friends. I didn't realize you were at the front desk of the hospital, John Q style. When 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 you said that, yeah. I, I just thought you, I didn't want you to have to make the trip down. But yeah, I stayed the night. Yeah, I didn't. I they didn't realize you followed waiting for followed the our car out of the driveway to the hospital. I, yeah. If I would have known, I, I would have let you in. But do you do you write at home? Yeah, do you have an office part. that you set aside to write in? I have a, a desk down in the basement. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so you have two children now, right? I do, yes. What are their ages? Uh, two and a half and two and a half weeks. Two and a half years, two and a half weeks. Man. So how's the two and a half week old sleeping? Uh, not great. Yeah. Not terrible, but mm-hmm. not, not great. Uh, Boy or girl? Girl. Both girls. Both girls. So just a little, you know, to be fully honest, there's been a couple nights in just the short time she's been alive where I'll wake up and say, oh, honey, you know. Lila, who was our new daughter, pretty, pretty good night of sleep last night. My wife will say no. No, not at all. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. You you might have had Get it away okay. from me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go make me breakfast. So apparently I sleep through a lot more than I realize. But um even even having said that, it's 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 still a transition period. Yeah. Yeah, for you and your wife. <laughs> <laughs> so um <clears throat> Let's talk sports. Okay. This has been a good biopic here. This has been nice. Thanks yeah. for indulging me a little bit. Sure. I think people, you know, um, I, I had no idea who you were mm-hmm. um, until uh, a gentleman, Spencer Tuckerman, said, you got to read this guy. I think you'll actually like it. Um, not that I dislike other writers, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, anyways. Whatever but, happened to him, by the way? Spencer Tuckerman? No clue, honestly. Guy fell off the. He, he was he used to have a cool Twitter account. He he was a proprietor of a, a, a outfit called O Varsity or something like that. Once made its way into the into the mouth hole of Dan Dockage, and then, <laughs> uh, and now <laughs> I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's just gone. Yeah. Um, although I am going to be releasing an article um, in, in which uh, his pre two thousand eighteen prediction that he, he crafted in, in, on that website, uh, he, he predicted a 500 season. Isn't that crazy? Wow. To think I read, uh, in doing some research, I also read, uh, online periodical called the athletic in which you and Mo Egger engage in a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I've highlighted that in the article as well. Oh yeah. And, uh, you, you were very lawyerly. You took no position <laughs> and I gotta be honest. So, so, when I when we were talking a bit ago, and I was asking about you know, you ever feel like you take a hard position? I have noticed this about you, okay? And it's wh- whether you're talking to me or anyone else. Whenever someone, and listen, I'm a lawyer, right? right. I do depositions, I cross-examine. I'm used to non-answers. Yeah. I know when someone is trying to, and if somebody's in the witness stand and I ask them a question or it's a deposition, they can't just ask me a question back. Right. And so sometimes I'm caught off guard by your escape, uh, your escape routes. <laughs> <laughs> but I have noticed that you seldom take a definite position on predictions or prognostications. You won't say, "Oh, I think they'll go eight and four, or they'll go nine and three. Or, and and your 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 friend Mo, he is just. Chived. <laughs> I was reviewing some of his periodicals. He is chock full of opinions. So that's that's why Mo is good at what he does. Just yeah. get on the radio. He taught. He takes some hard stances. You are not the first person to tell me that, though, about me being, you know, kind of flaky or or knowing how to write a fence post. That's for sure. So, do you think I could have been a good lawyer? <laughs> 
Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not. No, I, I, I think the lawyer's craft is words. And if you are good with words and good with understanding logic and argument, uh, you can be a good lawyer. Mm. That's what Tim But you're right. I do. I do tend to, to yeah. flake on what I ask. I think it's because I, I, I assume this is again, this goes back to the self-important thing. I assume yeah. that if I'm wrong, Someone will go back and be like, Throw remember when you were on with Tony Pike at 1235 yeah. so, on Tuesday? So your friend Mo has been attacking my friend, Zach Taylor. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that. Well, um, a lot of people have been attacking Zach Taylor. I know, but Mo makes me more frustrated because it's more effective, yeah. frankly, when he does it. <laughs> and so um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, because I was looking at what, um, for this article, I'm talking about the seniors, and I was looking at what I think the low emotional point for the seniors that we're going to celebrate on Saturday night was spring ball 2018 coming off the heels of back-to-back four and eight seasons and things are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And I remember uh, being at one of the practices and um, for spring ball and I'm thinking four and eight, four and eight, we got this new coach and he's, t- he's saying these things that come across as traditional coach speak, mm-hmm. you know, focus on the process team together. Everybody achieves more. Right. He's saying these things that are, they're not cliche. They're, they're simple. They're direct. They're fine, but you don't cliches don't win games. And, um, and which, is, which itself is kind of a cliche. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. And, but the, you know, and then, you know, I'm at practice and he's, everybody keeps talking about how he's obsessed with body language. And there was one spring practice that um, Hayden Moore overthrew a receiver, and I caught the ball on the sideline because I'm, you know, I'm an elite athlete, right. and it doesn't matter what is going on. I can just you're actually it. mirroring the route of the receiver. <laughs> That's right. I was back. Yeah, I was a DB. It was actually a pick, uh, which is understandable. Um, and, and and so um, I I catch the ball, and then as is my my custom in that post game presser, I asked. Luke Fickle, if he happened to notice anybody on the sidelines, you know, demonstrate elite hands. And then he said, um, in response, jokingly, he said, yeah, I also noticed that you yawned a couple times during the practice. And I kid you not, I yawned twice during that practice. I remembered. And I also was like, why this guy is, he, he really is focusing on body language. He notices a lot of stuff. He does notice a lot of stuff. He's good at reading a room mm-hmm. or a field in that case. And I, I just remember in that moment, everything is bad. This guy's reading body language. Can somebody get a chart out? Can somebody like do a, a digital, uh, you know, a statistical dive into offensive, you know, preferences on our first opponent? Like, can I get some football? You know, I, mm-hmm. and, and I know that, uh, and, and frankly, there's a reason that uh, I'm not a head football coach, right? And he is. And, um, you know, there's a reason that guys like Mo will, will say things like, you got to draft Dwayne Haskins. And then, uh, you know, it doesn't work out and they just keep publishing, right? But the coach and the organizations, they have to live with their decisions and, they do act like, you know, most of them, they, they know, they, they, they know enough that they've you know, climbed, ascended to a certain level of success in the profession. And, 
And for the most part, I think that that's because they are decent coaches. doesn't mean they're elite coaches. I, I, I do differentiate between those two classes. I think there are a lot of pretty good coaches, and then there are some that are just truly special. But I remember, you know, in that moment, of, and I don't tend to say anything negative. So my escape, my, uh, my superpower is I say everything's always going to be great. And it's a form of not answering as well. <laughs> so, like, so if you say, you know, Brian, do you think we're going to uh, play in the Cotton Bowl? I'll say, yeah, and we'll probably beat Alabama. Well, so right. this, is, this is like before the Ohio State game. <laughs> right, yeah, before the Ohio State game. You, uh, I'm you were all, flying the flag for, oh, for beating the Buckeyes in Columbus. I was on fire. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, candidly, I believe that at that time. Um, there have been other times where it's been tongue in cheek yeah. and I, and I hope that people get the tongue in cheekness. Um, but you know, it, it's, uh, so are we going to the Cotton Bowl? We, we are going to go to the Cotton Bowl. We, we might win the national championship this year. I mean, you and I, yes. Cincinnati is the Cincinnati going to the Cotton Bowl? I think so. You think so? Yeah. Do you, you think we give up one or two to yeah. Memphis? Right now I have a hard time seeing them beating Memphis. I'm deeply concerned about our offense right now. It is sputtering. Um, badly. And I don't, I don't know why I really don't. So I, here, here was my sense early in the season. I felt like last year, um, there was a season long progression of Desmond, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, he started out as a very strict game manager by the end of the season, he was stepping out a little bit. He was doing more than just making plays with his feet this season. Um, early in the season, I felt like he was hitting targets down the field, felt good. Last game, you know, the last several games, especially the road games, um, anything over 15 yards, he's not hitting any deep targets. And I, as I have reflected back, and and by the way, this isn't a knock on Des by any stretch. Like, I I still think he's a great quarterback. I still think there's a reason that that Coach Fickle and Gino and uh, Mike Denbrock believe in him. It's just that um, as I look back, I think about how many plays were just go routes to Alec Pierce that may have artificially inflated the the numbers a bit, or, or at least led me to the conclusion, hey, everything's fine. There's nothing, you know, there's no problems. And um, so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much concerned about the offense. Against Memphis, I'm also concerned about our defense mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we, we, we still have a banged up sec- secondary. We have a very young secondary. Um and, and some spots out there that, that are less strong than others. And, uh, and as I look at, you know, the temple, I'm not concerned about, well, it's going to be a wet track. So we're going to be forced to run the ball a lot. And when we do that, we tend to do that pretty well. I think we go man to man against temple very well in the trenches. So I, I like that game. I'm deeply terrified of Memphis. I don't know what, Desmond is banged up a little means. What do you think it means? I think the injury impacted him on Saturday in mm-hmm. South Florida. Uh, and I think it, it wasn't, I think it was, it, it, this has been, point has been made by Fickle and coaches this week, but I think it's true. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, I think when you're injured and you get sacked four times in the first half and your receivers don't get great separation, and the coverage disguised you a little bit, I feel like that then can kind of snowball more so than just saying my arm hurts if it didn't hurt. 
everything would be great. I, I do think stuff tends to kind of compound. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think if it, it continues, do you do you bench Desmond Ritter and he's not going to get Ryan? he's not going to get benched if right. he's healthy enough to play. He's going to be the starting quarterback. I think the question that has to be asked is. Will he be healthy enough to play Saturday against Temple? I, I I would say yes, but I think it's a legitimate question to Speaking ask. Speaking of garbage, is that is that just a garbage cover for benching a more experienced player because you're trying to soft pedal? Maybe there's some some inherent weakness in the playmaking ability. Are you asking me? I am. Yeah. What do you think? I think if he, I, I mean, Fickle talked about it again. I'm not, I'm not an opinion writer. Mm-hmm. Fickle talked about it uh, at the game and after the game, which he has enough. He feels like Des there enough respect that he can kind of say to him, "If you, if you feel like you can go, you're going to go. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you have to tell us." He Desmond clearly felt like he could win that game Saturday, and in his defense, he did. That the team did. Um, what I, what I do think would be interesting is I, I think there's a difference between him feeling good enough to, to start and play against Temple and him being healthy enough to air it out if they need to, if they get behind by a couple scores or in, you know, Memphis, you know, in a, in a couple weeks or whenever it is, if they get in a shootout, is he healthy enough to, to, to win that for them? I think he has the ability to do that if he's healthy. If he's not totally healthy, I think the coaching staff would feel comfortable putting Ben Bryan in there. Not saying it would go great, you know, or anything yeah. like that. I have no doubt that they're they're very confident in Ben. Yeah. To step in and, and yeah. immediately not be a drop off. I think so too. But I think the question then is does does Desmond is he able to say, Yeah, yeah, I can't do this? Or if he doesn't say that, is is the coaching staff willing to say you've won 19, 20 games in your two years, but we if we're gonna win? Because it's you know these are these are now becoming must-win situations. Yeah. So it's interesting, but for all the talk about what about next year? I think next year is a very interesting thing. I, I wrote about it today. You can read about it on theathletic.com. Okay. Uh, someone asked me. I think if if you put safe money on it, I think it'd be on Desmond Ritter being the starting quarterback. Yeah. Do you think they redshirt Evan Prater? Mm-hmm. I think if they can, I, I don't think Fickle wants to start a true freshman at quarterback. Yeah. I think the question is, <clears throat> does if say if Ben Bryan doesn't get a chance to play these these last few weeks of the season, however long this now extends, does does he stay and try to win the job, or does he look for opportunities elsewhere? I think I don't think that's totally unfair to wonder and ask that question. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because you know Evan is Evan Prater, uh, Wyoming kid, going to play in the you know United States Army All American Bowl. Is that what they call it? Sure. Yeah, whatever it is. Uh, and a bunch of kids from Texas, I assume. <laughs> and like just a smattering of uh, Florida boys and Louisiana players. Um, and then Evan Prater from Wyoming, who has led he led them to a state championship last year. He's just a force, and he's incredible, and he's fun to watch. Now, I will say he's playing against really bad teams. His league is not great. Yeah. Now he'll, you know, they'll play Valley View this this next week. Um, oh, you're on the prep beat. Look at you. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm just, I, I honestly, I just, uh, I, I follow Evan. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm fascinated by him, and, and so, I, you know, I don't know. I think that sets up as an interesting dilemma 
you think they, you think Luke Fickle would play would start a true freshman quarterback? Um, I think if if Luke Fickle is an elite coach, he plays the best player. And and best doesn't necessarily mean who can throw a ball through the tire thirty yards down the field best. Best means who will you know the other ten players on the field believe in and who doesn't cost you the locker room, who drives home, you know, your all the things you're trying to teach in terms of culture. And this may, came back from a search. And maybe uh, <laughs> that's weird, but my phone is doing bitch behaving bad. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if you're an elite coach, you play the best player. And if that's, again, best means a lot of different things. So I, I don't know. I think, I think he could, I see that Luke Fickle's the kind of guy who, would, who could make that decision, who yeah. would make that decision. Um, I don't Isn't know. it ridiculous that we're talking about next year's starting quarterback when they have a chance to play in the Cotton Bowl, to, yeah. to make the Cotton Bowl, to win win the conference championship? I know. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of time left, but I do have, I have, I love asking you hypothetical scenarios because you are so positive. Sure. If, say, Cincinnati Bearcats beat Temple, lose to Memphis on Black Friday next week, go back to Memphis and beat Memphis for the AAC title on the road, play in the Military Bowl or the Liberty Bowl or, heaven forbid, the Gasparilla Bowl. Is that – how do you frame that season as a, as a failure or as a success or somewhere in between? I think the sheer fact that um, within – 24 calendar months of spring ball in 2018, we are looking at the prospect of playing at in a New Year Six Bowl. That it's a successful season. I mean, I, if I was the coach, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> um, but I'm saying that. I just feel like there's a lot of people if they don't make the Cotton Bowl. No, I it's going to be a failure. Absolutely not. No, if we play in a military bowl, we're in a bowl. We we've won nine games, nine and three. You kidding me? Uh, I'll take it. Yeah, it's a good season. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't think we'll finish nine and three. I think we'll at least finish 10 and two. Um, that's my, that's what I think. Um, so I, no, I don't, I don't see it as a failure just because of that. Uh, what about you? I, I definitely don't see it as a failure. If I'm, if I'm making a prediction, if you're forcing me to sitting here right now, I don't, I don't think they make the cotton ball. Yeah. I don't see them beating Memphis on the road. Does any of that have to do with the fact that you started to hate the Bearcats while you were in Athens? <laughs> a little bit, maybe. Big win for my Bobcats over uh, Bowling Green. Nobody cares. Maction this week. Put a hung 66 on them. That's right. Frank Solich, winningest coach all time in the MAC. Um, it's exciting. But I, I kind of, you kind of alluded to this. Even so, say they they lose the next two games to Temple and to Memphis, and don't even get to play for the AAC championship. We still won nine games. Yeah, I still don't think that's – look Look at where they were. Yeah. It, it's – we he has uh, effectively pulled us out of the pits of Hades. Um, and the players have pulled us out of the pit of Hades. And, and he continues to win big recruiting classes, and he continues to drive a strong culture and environment in the locker room. So – yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to look at anything he's doing right now and see it as a failure. The problem is, um, you know, a lot of economists will describe this, and, and that is that when you experience a measure of success, it becomes difficult to evaluate 
any form of failure going forward because you have a certain expectation for outcomes. Uh, it's why shows like Who Wants to Be, uh, uh, what's well, the one where you pick the, the money in the box or the briefcase? How to Make a Deal? Uh, Let's Make a Deal? Uh, no, I don't even know what it's called. It, but there's a show where the thing is they line up like 50 people and they have briefcases and in the briefcase there's a certain dollar figure and they go and you know you start out and they open these briefcases have you never seen this this game? The howie mandel show. yeah the yeah. howie mandel show i don't know but that game they um they play and like they you know they record it live people are standing there I just recently read this uh uh psychologist who was describing um this in his book uh, thinking fast and slow well shout out and um, Adder, yeah and um and as as he's describing this he talks about the process of participants which is the more um the back and forth is between the more low dollar figures the more people actually have the sense that that they are losing something if a large dollar figure comes out and it warps their sense of understanding of what is success. Success is you walked in with $0 and if somebody offers you $300,000, you take it every single day. You don't have to do anything right. really except point and say numbers out loud in order to you know, reap the benefits of that. But if so 750,000 is exactly is right. There. So yeah, suddenly people, and then, you know, there's this whole gambling, um, uh, psychology, which is people are more risky with their money when they're losing because they're trying to recoup that and because they have a certain sense of expectations relative to that. So uh, all that is to say the fan base will riot if we lose the next two games. They will call Luke Fick They may even ask for Luke Fickle's job. There's no question they're going to continue to beat this Ben Bryant drum, uh, which I think is, is it's to me, it's silly at this point. Not that Ben Bryant's not a great player, um, but but Desmond has not uh, he's not cost us any games, mm -hmm. um, and and I think he he does continue to do incredible things with his feet. So um, yeah, Jaron just uh, Jaron Desmond. <laughs> How about that segue? Let's just jump into that. Jaron Gate two K nineteen. I have uh, I took down my Bone Watch two K nineteen tent, my candlelight vigil. I concluded that as he transitioned out to USC. You see him taking twit picks with the Arnold. Arnold? Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or was that just the angle? No, I think he's I think a big man. Yes. So I guess I never realized it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, crazy. You wrote that. over those mountains. Do you think that he used your article in submitting his resume materials to USC? 100%. I guarantee he did, and too. I don't know what percentage of, of that Pac-12 money I'm getting, but it better, Probably, better be coming my way. Probably none. No. You know what they what they have paid uh, prior athletic directors? The athletic director, Pat Hayden, before Lynn Swan? I do not know. $2.5 million, highest paid athletic director in the country. Hmm. So I don't know if Mike is, you know, swimming in Scrooge McDuck money right now, but he's he got a raise. There's no doubt about <laughs> it. All of a sudden, he's all Nike'd out and wearing maroons and, and, and mustard yellows. Uh, and, yeah. Looks good against that California tan. Though. Yeah, that's right. Um, so so I folded up the tent, but now i got to get it back out. 
because Jaron Gate 2K19 has begun. Uh, John Brandon stating that uh, he was sitting Jaron indefinitely. It was a coach's decision, a DNP. So he didn't. The only thing he stated was that it was a coach's decision. Yes, he didn't say nothing why. More, nothing less. Whether and and the rumor, the specu- wanton speculation is is that it's it's behavior related. Do you think it's behavior related, or do you think it's injury related? It's not injury related. Behavior related in what sense? What does that mean? Well, I don't know. You're the reporter. I I think for whatever reason, mm-hmm. John Brandon did not want to go into details about his coach's decision. He made that pretty clear because we asked him every which way. Yep. Why Jaron didn't play? If it was on court, off court issue, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's his. He has his reasons for 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 doing that, and that's fine. As Bobby Brown would say, that's that's my prerogative. His prerogative, correct. Um, I do think there was a a quote I've written about this too. There's a quote Brandon made after the Ohio State game in regard to Jaron, where you know he said he's a great player. He's learning the offense. He makes the right decision more often than not. He has to practice. He has to be in shape. And then and now, I found that quote very telling. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? Because I, I I think he was I think he was sending a message, you know he he will say he does not send messages that that this coach's decision for whatever whatever it was that first it was off not. let's be real okay we're we're all grownups uh, except for the kids that are listening along hey kids stay in school um, everybody sends messages sure coaches send messages bosses send messages spouses send messages everybody sends messages that's what we do fundamentally as humans it's. Uh, crazy to think that that decision or any number of different decisions that John Brandon has made weren't uh, ways of trying to communicate different points to uh, Mr. Cumberland. Sure, or anyone on his team. Or anyone on his team. Yeah. For that matter. That's what coaches do. It's right. okay to, to send messages to your players, right? Is it right? I would think so. And I think if, whether he would say he was sending a message or not, if there was a message that was being sent, it was he's a new coach. He's implementing his on-court system, but also his off-court culture and philosophy and all the things that come with it. And whether you are here for four years or one year, whether you are the best player on the team or the last guy on the bench, I think he's he's saying that everyone has a certain standard they have to meet. And do you do you feel like you know Jaron a little bit? I don't know. That's a tough. That's a that's a tough thing to say. He's a I've been around for four years. He's a college kid. He doesn't say much. He's so quiet. Um, I guess I, I guess it would depend on what what you would be asking me to yeah I mean to interpret about him. So one of my um, observations last season, I remember we were playing Ohio State at home. Jaron gets hot. I think it was in the second half that he got hot. He had consecutive eighteen or twenty two or something. Yeah, like that. And he was he was stroking, and all of a sudden um, there's a free throw. Uh, UC was shooting a free throw and Mick signaled to Jaron to come over and talk to him. And Jaron did one of those like quick little flutter shuffles followed by a stroll, a casual stroll over to coach Cronin and coach, coach Cronin read him the riot act. I mean, screaming at the top of his lungs. And I felt like in that moment I watched Jaron melt and he got ice cold after that. Because I think you know some players are more between the ears than others, and he's one of those guys. I'm freaked out as a Bearcats fan. It's not that I don't necessarily agree. I don't. I don't know all of the circumstances surrounding 
John's coach Brandon's decision. I just know that I know what I've observed of Jaron Cumberland and I'm a bit concerned because I, I, I want him to have a great year. I feel like there might be a, a, a personality clash, maybe a philosophical clash. Um, I, you know, I don't know everything about how Mick interacted with Jaron, but there was certainly a, some, some trust between those two and some leeway was given to Jaron under Mick's system. Right. You think that's true? I think that's fair. Yeah. And so now John Brandon's day one on the job and you know, it's, it's, he has a different philosophy for coaching. Um, John Brandon has a, he's a different person. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, um, I, I can't tell if he hates me or if he's just introverted. Probably both. <laughs> I like that. No, that's that's true. Um, yeah. I, this so this would be. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. This would be my um, response to that. I think there are some people who you you scream at them, or you you challenge them in in whatever way possible, and they immediately rise to the occasion or that they re- they respond to that challenge in real time. And I think there's some people who you, you challenge or you tell them a truth or whatever it is, and they need a, a day to process it in, in whatever yeah. shape or fashion that is. And then, and then they do and, it. And for funny. whatever reason, yeah, you know, and whether it's fair or unfair, like I, th- I think that's a general leadership principle. You, people tend to lead other people the way that they are either accustomed to being led or ways that they prefer to be led. And one of the most critical things about anybody in a position of leadership, especially in coaching uh, young guys is you got to figure out how players like to be led because you're, you're probably going to have better outcomes when you do that. When you do that audit of, all right, so when I push here, it's, it comes back void. When I push here, it comes back void. And the question is whether Coach Brandon in his very short tenure has pushed every conceivable button he knows how to push and they're all coming back void. Yeah, or if he he pushed the pushed the right one. And if what looks like um ominous coach's decision against Alabama AM on a Thursday night in November yeah. turns out to be uh, you know, a spark that Jaron has Jaren needed, or the team needed, or, or anything. Jaron's got everything to lose, right now. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a, a professional career in front of him. If he balls out and just rips nets all season, he's going to play in the league. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't, or if he gets benched, I mean, John Brandon really holds his future in his hands. Right, I think. And Jaron, I guess, at some level, holds his own future in his hands by responding well to John Brandon's. Sure, and he, he also coaching. holds, in some ways, the team's and Brandon's immediate future in his hands because an engaged and playing well Jaron Cumberland makes for a much different team. And so I think um, they both have the same end goal. I think it'll be interesting to see how and when they're able to, to meet yeah. in the middle. All right. Well, uh, we don't need to talk about the Paradise Jam. Honestly, the teams are bad. So yeah, flow hoops, flow hoops. Uh, I don't. How are we in this tournament? 
Is this this was a, a vestige of of the newly departed Mick Cronin, correct? That is correct. Why did he like this? Did he just want to, he liked the vacation and the basic scrimmages down there? I mean, you know, you have to play, you can't play in the same tournament every year. You got to play in different ones. So I think they already were pre um, destined for Maui in a couple of years. That was, that's when they go there. That was a, that was under mix. So you can't, can't praise them for Maui and yeah, blame them, them for, for Virgin Islands. <laughs> For the Paradise Jam, opening up against Illinois State. If they win that, they play the winner of uh, Western Kentucky and Bowling, uh, Green. Bowling Green. Speaking of action, uh, and then in the final, they could play a uh, Ken Palm 122 ranked team in Nevada. So there's just not a lot of uh, what they can do is just rack up wins, and maybe yeah. that'll feel good. Maybe that'll feel nice, and maybe get away from the the Clifton bubble for a little bit. Go get some sun. Maybe John and Jared, Jaron hang out on yeah. the beach. Maybe they throw the frisbee. Sure. Throw the football, maybe. Maybe play in the surf well, together. Umbrella and a drink. and Yeah. Well, know, probably not that. Hawaiian shirt. And, and then you sit there. Definitely the Hawaiian shirts, though. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be an adult. Yeah, I see what you're drink. saying. Yeah. Like soda pops. Yeah, sure. Or ALAs. ALAs, that's yeah. right. Come full circle. Well, Justin, I appreciate you uh, returning as my pod spouse. It's nice to have you back in the saddle. Great to great to be back. Uh, I wish uh, you and your lovely spouse all of uh, the help in the world with young Lila. If you need a babysitter, don't call me. Okay. Yeah. You, know, you just do delivery rooms, not yeah. Not, not I'm, yeah I'm a doctor. I'm not a babysitter. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, appreciate all you do. Thanks for walking the 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 folks listening along uh, through your. Your life, really. This yeah. is your life story. You can give it to your uh, grandparents, and they'll they'll enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Um, you don't need to thank me. So take care. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> That's a wrap on episode thirteen of the Hot Minute Pod. Um, it's uh, it's been real. It's been fun. I hope for you, it's been real fun. Um, you can find us online at www.bearcatsportsradio.com. I'm on Twitter at Bearcats Radio is my Twitter handle. And we also have the Facebook and Instagram pages where you can view pictures and, and, and articles are shared and the whatnot. Uh, the next episode is going to be pretty cool. I'm going to be talking with uh, Nick Colosimo, who is uh, one of the the chief video artist who uh, has been capturing the Bearcats basketball team and, and football team in the last uh, a little while. And so that'll be a, a fun conversation. I hope you'll tune in for that and, uh, and just fun things up ahead. Take care. Thanks for listening to my dad and his friends, and thanks for being his friends.